Lights, camera, action. And welcome to another edition of Movie Madness in association with Spitballing Pod. I'm Luke Byron, joined as always by Keenan Bonner. And the matchup we'll be getting into today is 1991's The Silence of the Lambs versus 2018's Black Klansman. How are we doing today? Yeah, not bad, mate. Not bad at all. Yourself? Yeah, a lot smoother than last week. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Most definitely. So. We haven't had to wait for such a time to to start no no uh more stress-free day during the day and now so we're all good um obviously you weren't on monday's podcast it was uh the five year well fifth birthday of the spitballing pod so uh you did have a little mention in our intro just uh so you know um not quite not well quite the fifth anniversary of movie madness but uh we'll get there We'll get there. Well, I was going to let you say it. I didn't want to uh, make any assumptions. Give you a little intro last week um, where I asked you to compare certain uh, romantic couples for Valentine's Day. Don't have that this time around, but there was a piece of trivia I saw with this film, and it was that they almost didn't release it in cinemas. They thought it was going to be too dark. They didn't think this was the type of film that you would base an evening around. They didn't think this was something that you would go out and see. Um, and it was, and they'd have far greater success if they just released it at home. And the people that were sick and twisted enough to want to watch this film could do it. And uh, the people who could avoid it, they wouldn't have to spend the money doing the marketing and all of that, putting it in cinemas. Mm-hmm. Quite simply, are you of the belief that every film is better in the cinema or are there some films that are better to watch at home? I don't know about better. You're not, you know, you're not going to like this answer. You feel like I'm not answering that. I don't know about better, but there are probably films that I would prefer to watch at home. No, I think that's completely fair. Am I to cut around here? Are you saying some that just aren't worth the trip for? Oh yeah, yeah, one hundred percent. Yeah, there is though, isn't there? You, you, you are, you will look at something like, oh. Yeah, I'll wait. I'll wait for that. It it takes away a certain level of pressure watching it at home. I don't know about that. I I I feel I have higher expectations for the film if I'm going to watch it in the cinema than if I am watching it at home. Um, no, I've never really thought about that. To be honest, genuinely. One. I think the only film I've ever seen really where I thought I'm glad I didn't see that in the cinema was um, the first Paranormal Activity because the whole thing one I've ever watched yeah well the whole thing was based around wasn't it like obviously things that take place in the house and I thought I saw the third one in the cinema and it's one of the worst cinema experiences I've ever had I think I explained it on here like it was just horrendous um people talking through it i hate it when people get scared in the cinema and they're like vocally scared and it kind of takes that immersion away from you um 
I don't really like horror films now. I didn't really like horror films then. Um, I just happened to be at a mate's house and uh, his dad had a copy of this on DVD. Um, and... I think I watched it on Netflix. Oh, okay. But for one, I knew nothing about that really going in other than what you saw. This is when, do you remember that phase? Um, you don't get it so much now where the trailers would be um, like almost a, a night vision camera yeah, of people yeah, like yeah. throwing themselves back in their seats. <laughs> and yeah. that would be like, this is so scary. People can't even control themselves in the cinema. But yeah, watching yeah. that, I mean, watching it at his house, there was the pressure to watch it and not act scared. Um, it lured you, you in, didn't it? Scary film? Yeah, that scared the shit out of me. The first one, oh. so bad. So like the radiator was making a noise, and like my eyes were open. Oh, the shit out of me! That's why I never watched any of the others. I thought the first one was terrible, and everyone said the first one was the best one. Well, usually any time we mention paranormal activity on this podcast, um, you've not met or spoken to Alex, but um. The story was that uh, the first film reduced him to tears in the cinema. Um, uh, I'm sure he won't be thrilled with me bringing that up, but that's what we do on this podcast. And it didn't quite have that effect on me, but it was I, one I of them. It would be, I imagine it'd be a lot more, like with the like surround sound and stuff, I imagine it'd be a lot more impactful. But yeah, yeah. I remember the first one boring, this boring me to sin, mate. I, <laughs> I hated it. It was just terrible. And all well, I, you, I, I'm happy. I'll just probably said this on the pod ten times, and I will say I'm the reason that we aren't doing a horror horror category. Uh, in fairness, um, I'm not a huge fan of them. I can watch them. I, I'm not a fan when it's like spirits and things like that. Um, the worst one. It's actually tell the worst one I ever watched. You and I, uh, one of our mutual friends, we went to watch. Uh, we went to watch the Nun. Yeah, that's not oh for me, that. <laughs> oh, my Lord. Oh, bad. Like, well, if you've not seen it, but legitimately. So what happens is, I can't. I watched like one as a kid. When, again, this is another story of me watching films that I was way too young to watch. Um, I can't even think what it was now. This is weird. But I remember watching like 10 minutes of one, and it like, I'd been about three or four, and it did like, sh- like shake me. Like, what was it? I can't remember. And you were three or four, did you just say? I think it was Chucky. <laughs> uh, I, I need to get your dad on here because I do need to have this, a word no, no, this and say, look. This, this was with okay. my cousins. Um, right, my, dad, my dad would have murdered them if they It's the same with Goodfellas. My, my dad let me watch it. Watch, he walked in, I watched it approximately three seconds. He was like, ah, yeah, get it off, mate, mate. Um, yeah, but like, at the same age, yeah. Older, I was being terrified of um, Roald Dolls the Witches because the main kid's name was Luke, and was that like, horrified me. Let alone watching Chucky, I'm sure it was. I think it was like Child's Play 2 or something ridiculous. I mean, like, man, it like fully like ruined me. Like, I was like, oh, like, remember just being so in my head, like, even though I'm now 27, we'll talk about 23 years later, in my head, they're always going to be like way, way worse. The kids' version of um, Chucky was um, Goosebumps when that was on. I think it was on like Fox Kids or something. Um, and there was the one with the yeah, dummy in there. I think it was called Night of the Living Dummy, actually. And that was like the kids' equivalent of Chucky. But yeah, so in my head, I like build up these films to the point that 
Oh, no, I'm almost like going to pass out watching it because I'm so scared. And I end up watching it, I thought, no, I shouldn't have shit. <laughs> like, they're not legitimately probably top three worst cinema experiences of my life. I, I already know what the worst one is. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, they're like, it, one of the worst. And Toph was like, oh, Toph. I don't like you, but it was told, oh, decent, this, this would be good, because it was like part of us, I think, the country or something. Yeah, it's oh, it's part of this. And I watched that and I was like, do I need to have seen any of the others? He's like, no, no, this is the prequel. I was like, oh, yeah. fine, we'll, we'll give it a go. But like, fully sat in, like, gripping, as it starts, like, I, I'm, like, gripping the, um, <laughs> like, the, the arm in the chair. I'm like, yeah. like, relax, relax. Like like you said, trying not to be visibly scared in the cinema. That's 45 minutes, it's bored as sin. It's horrible. No, like, I, I, nothing I'm, happens. I'm finishing Paranormal Activity, going into my mate's toilet for what I think was a nervous shit after watching that film and catching the reflection of myself um, in my phone screen and just thinking, why have you done that? Why have you done that to yourself? You know you don't like these. And you had to be brave, didn't you? You had to be the big man. I mean, I've and, looked at uh, myself ashamedly in, in a mirror many, many a time, but not, normally for different reasons. Why me? I don't know if that meant what you. I don't know if that sounds like what you meant it to mean or, or not. I said more so. All right. Well, uh, we'll move on to one of the films that we are doing today, and that is Silence of the Lambs. A rookie FBI agent. Found a girl's body down in West Virginia. Are you saying that he's killed again? I'll help you catch him, Clary. A psychiatrist turned psychopath. Yes, and now Clary, poor little Catherine, is waiting. Opposites with one attraction. Tell me his name, Doctor. Now. Lecter's missing hand arm. Ah! Her life hangs in the balance. Man's a raving maniac. Who knows what he'll do? The Silence of the Lambs. Rated R. A young FBI cadet must receive the help of an incarcerated and, manipul- and manipulative cannibal killer to help catch another serial killer, a madman who skins his victims. So when you say it like that, I sort of get what they're talking about. Yeah, 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 that's fair. But then you watch the film and like, whilst that is exactly what it is, it's also just nothing like what it is. No, see, um, I said last week this was my first time watching this film and i'd seen the one scene i think we watched it in media studies and that's um his kind of escape um no it's actually his escape um where he's at the well you think he's at the top of the lift and it was literally a very small snippet um and so my preconceived idea going into this was that it was quite literally a kind of cat and mouse they need to catch hannibal i didn't realize there was the dynamics that there was um what do you think the critics will think of this? Masterpiece. Yeah, you're not far wrong. Um, beyond its serial killer setup, Clarice's journey for identity, which draws from classical structures and supplies an inspired variation on them, is what makes The Silence of the Lambs so rewarding time after time. One of the all-time great thrillers, Dem directs this for maximum suspense, Yet the film also works as a multi-layered feminist tale, with Foster's resourceful agent emerging as a beautifully conceived character. And I'll do have a few questions on that later. This very unsettling chiller has been elevated to classic status by virtue of the eerie chemistry few would have seen coming from the odd couple pairing of Anthony Hopkins and Jodie Foster. 
Now, I wanted to ask you, um, because there's a film in cinemas at the moment, which is the oddest cinema pairing I've seen in quite some time. I don't know if you know what I'm referring to. No, I don't. There is a love story in cinemas at the moment with Owen Wilson and Jennifer Lopez. Is that really an odd pairing? Yeah, absolutely that's an odd pairing. He's in the film films with Aniston. This is what Owen Wilson does. Mm, there's something in a bit... I mean, for one, the premise of the film is she's some, like, famous pop star or something, is going through a breakup, um, looks in the crowd, and there's a guy holding a marry me sign, and so she decides to go through it and marry him. Yeah, the premise is fucking ridiculous. That's the worst part of that. I don't think I'm the only one saying Owen Wilson and Jennifer Lopez is an odd cinema pairing. I'm not saying it's not odd. Your words were it's one of the oddest pairings I've seen. I think that's a stretch. When we did things previously, and I think we did it for Space Jam, where it was literally like drawings, drawing numbers out to, to create odd pairings, that I would find odd even in that circumstance. I just don't see. To be, I don't mean to cause any offence to our uh, friend Owen here. I've got to think he's at least like fifth down on the list there. Okay, I mean, it's it's it was strange. Um, would you watching it? Anthony Hopkins and Jodie Foster doesn't feel that weird to me, but I guess it's because. In 2022, I know them as just kind of two megastars. Mm. It's ultimately rather remarkable just how engrossing The Silence of the Lambs remains for the duration of its 118-minute running time. How did the runtime feel for you? Yeah, it's absolutely fine, mate. It's, it's classed, to be honest. Yeah, it... I didn't think it felt like a two-hour film, and I actually thought going in that it was a longer-than-two-hour film. So for a film where it's not a traditional thriller, is it? It's not. There isn't something happening every 10 no. minutes. No, no, not in the slightest way. So to maintain the level of tension they do and to grip you in the way they do is so well done because I can't even explain how they managed to do it. It's just it. It's just the strength of the performances. Because you think that, that's that's what it is. When when we're doing this kind of thing, usually, and we're saying about the runtime and how it feels shorter, we would usually go through the boxes and we'd say like maybe action per minute, laughs per minute, um, a certain level of like slick dialogue, which you get in snippets here, but I wouldn't say that's a theme throughout the entire film. Um, it's not got you on edge in the sense that it does in the last say 15 minutes it's just very curious how they do it but I guess as you said there with the impressive performances maybe you're just in awe of what you're seeing and for that reason you're not looking at your phone or you're not checking to see what you're doing after etc etc no I like I, I do um I, I do I do think you're right mate if I'm honest like it, you yeah there are, there are stretches for like 10 minutes where not a lot's happening. It's just, it's just dialogue, but you can't take your eyes off it. No. It's, um, well, it's, it's brilliant. 
Dem's use of close-ups is remarkable and not something that's translated into contemporary film language too often anymore. Faces, eyes, hands, they're everywhere, making the suspense personal and therefore way more frightening. Um, to put into perspective here um, the time we're at when this is released, um, this was battling Beauty and the Beast for Best Picture. Uh, that's funny. That's the kind of matchup we would have had on like our last bracket. Correct. Um, and also, um, this, where it was nominated for like all the awards, came out yeah. almost, it was like the oldest kid in the school year, where it came out like right after when the awards cut off would have been for the previous year. So it had to wait an entire year and was still at the forefront of everyone's minds. And this was a time when, as long as you kept going to see it, it would stay in the cinema. It didn't have such no, the limited exactly. release that you do now because of digital releases and things. No, no, exactly. Um, yes, it's just like, it's surprising. I didn't ever think about that, actually. That's a really good point. Just never consider that. But just like, as long as people wanted to see it, they could see it. Yeah, this was still in cinemas like nine months after it came out. Yeah, it's out on like it's out on DVD now. Between that time, Do you yeah, me? yeah, but it's been gone, but like, done. But I, I suppose well, there's a cost to. The only way you do it now is you like the Marvel could do it. Well, Spider Man came out uh, second week second week of December, I believe. And people are complaining that the uh, digital release date has been pushed back to the first week of April. Like not that long at all, is it? No, less than, less than four months, and this is still in cinemas like nine months later. <laughs> Incredible that you have to assume by that point it's people re-watching it, and like the word of mouth is still going. <laughs> it's just gradually just working its way through. I mean, if you hadn't heard of it or seen it by that nine-month point, I don't know what you were doing, but pretty incredible either way. You have to think there's got to be... Because I think it would reach a certain point where I thought, I'm just not going to see it. I'm not, yeah. gonna go, I'm not going to the cinema seven months down the line to watch it. You try and have a conversation in the office and people are like, yeah, we did this uh, like six months ago, mate. Yeah. I mean, I do think that's one thing about films is because, like, with digital stuff, everything is available to you quicker. I do love the fact that film, and TV, TV, I suppose, but as you know, like, film is my preferred. I love cinema. But it, it's something that still takes over offices or, take, like, take, takes over workplaces. I, like, it does it regardless now. Like, even though information and everything's available to you quicker, a good film people will 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 just have people talking for ages yeah and with this um i think it may play into there's far more pressure to watch things immediately now because there's so much pressure based on like well the conversations are just more easily had aren't they you watch a film you put on twitter that you've seen it and suddenly everyone's sharing their opinion with you yeah whereas but then it's probably a bit easier to say. Spoilers, I don't want to hear this. Okay, fine, I'll have the conversation with someone else. Yeah, you don't have to worry about logging in and seeing it. I still haven't watched it, so please don't do it for me now. You know, it's not even a spoil James Bond for me. Yeah. Yeah, it's pretty impressive, to be fair. 
But I don't look at like I feel like you. I feel like if you search them, you search for people who search for spoilers, find them. I do. I do think that. Like I also, I've not read a singular singular article or a singular headline after the word James Bond or Time to Die. No, Time no, to Die. Sorry. As soon as I see it, that's that gone. Now, even in like media, you hit a point where people are just, well, look, if you've not seen it by now, not my problem, and just firing out with it. Like, yeah. I don't think it's a spoiler at this point to say there was more than one Spider-Man in the latest Spider-Man film. I mean, that was no, like ruined. That, that bit I know. Yeah, that was yeah. ruined before the film came out, but yeah. there was no real, like... I also haven't seen Spider-Man yet, so... No, I'm not going to give you anything else, just... There was probably about a week, and then the general feeling was, look, if you've not seen it by now, not my problem. I'm saying, I'm sharing my thoughts. Yeah, but I'm a huge star, so if you do that. Yeah. Um, if we could talk about Anthony Hopkins first here, uh, maybe a disservice to Jodie Foster, but we'll get on to her next. Um, Excuse me. So Jodie Foster claims that during the first meeting between Hannibal Lecter and Clarice, um, Hopkins' mocking of her southern accent was actually improvised on the spot. Um, her horrified reaction was genuine and she felt personally attacked <laughs> because she was trying to cover up the accent. Um, she later thanked Hopkins for generating such an honest reaction out of her. That's pretty cool. Yeah. Um, That's what you get when you work with the best, though, isn't it? Yeah. And in prep for the role, Hopkins studied files of serial killers and he visited prisons and studied convicted murderers. Um, he was actually present during some court hearings concerning gruesome murderers and serial killings just to try and get inside the mind of the character he was going to become. It's fucking insane. <laughs> um, I wish I'd taken down the name. Um, so you've not seen Mindhunter, I don't think, but you know what it no, is, do you not? It's based on the psychological, the beginning of the psychological profiling for the FBI. Yeah, so one of the... Um, guys that inspired that program um he was involved behind the scenes on this film kind of giving them pointers and things and he shared a video recording uh, not a video recording sorry a tape recording with one of the uh, writers i believe it was um i may have that wrong i should have taken down the name um but he shared a recording of some young girls being murdered because the guy kept saying, well, I don't know how you do it, uh, blah, blah, blah. And he, he said, he, it's like ruined his life. He's like, I, I've i never felt the same level of happiness that I had before I was shown that recording. Like, I don't know why he had to do that. Of course that ruins your life. Yeah, I'm just saying, this is what was happening on set. This is why we get this level of realism, I guess. Um, yeah, mate, yeah. Just pop, pop, in, <laughs> pop in the office for five. I've got something to you. <laughs> Get on this one, you'll love it. Oh, fucking hell. <laughs> if, you show me that video, if you show me that video, January, yeah, it's not a video, unfortunately. It was a recording, which actually feels a bit more harrowing than a oh, video. Oh, it's just a, like an audio recording. Yeah. Yeah, way creepier. Yeah. Because you, you are left solely to your imagination. Yeah, I may... There's a thousand ways that they could be being killed. If, and also this, the fact that it's children is just fucking horrible. 
if if this goes through to the next round, I'll get the proper story for the uh, next episode. Oh, I thought you were going to say I'll get the recording. No, no, no. Um, yeah, I believe it was one of the um, writers, and he was just having some conversation with his name's Scott, I believe, the guy who was um, in the behavioral science team. Scott's yeah. dickhead. Yeah, he showed him that audio thing, and he says, like, yeah, my life has never been the same since. Like, I've never felt the same level of happiness that I had before I heard that recording. Yeah. Obviously. Um, that would... I, I, if, like, if that was me, I'd probably be a full-blown Because no, <laughs> I couldn't actually never I don't think. No. With 24 minutes and 52 seconds of screen time, Anthony Hopkins' performance in this movie is the second shortest to ever win an Academy Award for Best Actor in a Leading Role. David Niven in separate tables beat him at 23 minutes and 39 seconds. Big question for you here, Keenan. Who does more with their time on screen? Anthony Hopkins in Silence of the Lambs or Mark Wahlberg in The Departed? Pardon? Anthony Hopkins. That wasn't a big question. Oh, you're just quite quiet. Um, Wahlberg yeah, has... I was confused. I confused that that was even a question. Wahlberg oh. has about eight minutes. Yes. Anthony he Hopkins delivers one of the most memorable performances in cinema ever. <laughs> Is Wahlberg in The Departed not one of the most memorable for you? No. Huh. Sorry, Mark, no, if you're listening. I'm not even trying to ask the question. I'm sure if you <laughs> ask Mark Wahlberg that question, regardless of his ego, he'd call you a dick. Like telling JB that we had Project X over Borat and he's like, what the fuck have you done that for? Um, Martha Stewart and Anthony Hopkins dated briefly during the production. Um, Following the film's release, Stewart ended the relationship because she says she couldn't divorce Hopkins through his performance as Hannibal Lecter. It's fucking stupid. Just walking around the house like this. <laughs> cool. every, time, every time he opens a bottle of wine, she's worried about her liver getting taken. They're <laughs> asking, how do you like your steak? And he's going, how do you think I want my steak? Bloody. What on earth? Um, so yeah, poor Martha Stewart. She did go jail. Yeah. Um, in, in terms of just talking about his performance, I, I think it's so brilliant the way they build him up. Um, I think it would be easy. He's your leading man. Open the film with him. Um, maybe it's him being arrested. Maybe it's um, you open with one of these like therapy sessions, blah, blah, blah. Um, but they almost build like this mythology around him before you even see him on screen. Like he's described as a monster, a complete psychopath. You hear all of the things he's done to people with both his mind and his mouth, actually. Um and then you meet him, and he's like this mild-mannered Englishman. But he's still terrifying because of everything you've heard before. And as is the case in uh, these kind of films, it's far scarier when someone is calm and composed than if he was rattling his cage. Uh, it is, yeah. That's why the English make such good... Or oh, the British, aren't the Hopkins as well, make uh, such good villains, mate. Temperament. And I think Michael Caine is the one that's spoken about this previously. And he said, for anyone that plays a villain, then this is the performance you look to. And he says, if anything, just the lack of blinking 
just the way he's staring constantly the for stare, all of his shots. The, the stare looks into your soul, right? It looks out of the camera into your soul. The um, only thing I was going to say is there is, you know, obviously one of the other films opens up exactly or in a similar way to how you described it. And I've not um, seen any of the others. No, neither, neither have I because everyone says they're, they're okay. Or some of them are okay, but you may as well. You, you're not going to enjoy it as much as... Um, as you, as, you, as you enjoy a uh, silence of the lambs, yeah, I'm sure one of the other one of the, the one with Ed Norton, he ends up he, he gets arrested. Um, it doesn't open up, open up with it. There's a couple of scenes like with a dinner party, etc. And then, it's, yeah, that's um, the kind of shade way to go about I've it, seen, isn't it? I've seen 25 minutes of Red Dragon. I haven't, I've never seen it all the way through. Yeah. Um, it was. I didn't find it as entertaining as Silence of the Lambs. So that's why I turned it off. But even like on top of the way he's introduced, just the introduction with um, Clarice walking up to his cell, like every prisoner she passes by is just progressively more insane. Um, I mean, yeah. don't need to mention everything they're doing. Um, and he's sitting behind bars, and then there he is, just standing behind glass and uh, waiting for her. The director made it very clear um, because in in the books he's behind bars as you would expect mm. and he said he he didn't like the aesthetics with that it, it felt like they weren't truly having a conversation face to face with that kind of blocking what, what everything anthony hopkins is doing on screen is intentional isn't it and he didn't want anything blocking any part of that whether it was his thumb tapping his leg whether it was something he's doing twitching the side of his head or whatever he said having the glass there for one it showed that he was different and more dangerous to the other guys there and it just meant you weren't missing anything yeah i mean the other thing does intentional or not is it singles him out as the main man on it yeah regardless of his performance it's just these are locked away i mean he is locked away like a lot in a cage but it's the whole oh it's purpose built for him don't do this don't do that it just as, as another introduction it gives you just an idea again an idea about how much more dangerous he is yeah um if we just mention jodie foster because i have some questions about kind of the plot of the film so we can save some of that um i saw a review of this and it wasn't a sole review and it described this as one of the greatest feminist films ever made um and ha- having seen it and I, I think we were probably due this after last week's episode. I think they're very much right in the way that she's presented as a character. I thought... Is... Regrettably for a podcast, I, I don't really have a lot. Because I couldn't name... Could you name me something else? And I don't mean this nasty. This isn't a knock of feminism or, or women in general. It's just... I have to admit, I've never considered, I've never considered a film from a feminist point of view. No, but I don't think that cinema that deeply enough. What I would say in a lot of the films that I would put forward, and so if it was something like Widows, or there's the new one, it's like the the three five five, and they did the Oceans one, and there's all all sorts of these, but. The way they do it in The Silence of the Lambs, I think, is great because it isn't forceful or preachy at all. And I do think if it was released today, far more would be made of it and would probably put some people off because they see the word and that would be it for them. Um, Clarice 
is an exceptional cadet, they say, who just so happens to be a woman. Um, she doesn't have qualifications to be in the position that she's in, um, but she does still stand there on her own merit, obviously, as we see by the end of it. Mm-hmm. They aren't doing the she's incredibly smart, like she's a brainiac. Um, yeah. They're not doing the she's the top of the class, she's the prodigy coming through. Um, she is, without meaning to discredit the character, she's smart and capable. She clearly accepts the fact as the film goes on and they make references to it that she kind of accepts the prejudices and actually mm. uses it to her benefit by the end of the film. Um, but they have the few moments where she kind of speaks up when she finds things unacceptable. There's the uh, reference when they're going to see the body that's been pulled out of the lake and she checks the uh, police inspector about how he speaks to her. Um, yeah. And she does it again in the car on the way back and he just takes the comment, nods and takes it on board. Mm. So I, I think the beauty of the character and if it is going to be held up in the way um, I said previously is that it's just a normal character. They're not trying to make anything that isn't. It's just, I guess, and it feels a bit uh, kind of social media out, like a, just a strong woman, basically. Yeah, it's, it's, she, it's played as a woman doing her job. Yeah. And with the greatest respect, it's not even played as it's a woman doing her job, her job exceptionally well. No. It's, because usually it would do the, oh, she's quite smart for yeah, a woman. No she's quite strong for a woman, no blah, blah, blah. never thought of this, Brady, but it's just she adapts to it. She adapts to situa- situationally. I mean, there is, a, in a film about cannibals, There is she, she is the sense of normality. Or no, yeah. normal, no, normalcy, I would say, not rather than normality, but in terms of a baseline, she is the baseline. Even little things like um, when they're propping open the garage and she gives the business card with the telephone number on because she acknowledges that she's not strong enough to be able to lift it back up after. Um, trembling when she's going down to see him for the first time and not acting uh, overly like macho uh, because she has to prove a point. I think the character is easily relatable, um, as relatable as can be for someone investigating uh, serial killers, mm. just because, as you say, it's a normal person. Yeah, someone doing a job. What it is worth mentioning is Jodie Foster is a character. Um, if I think of her, if I see her name, I'm usually going back to Taxi Driver. And... I've never seen Taxi Driver, so I only ever think of this. Blimey. I told you this before. I told you about two weeks ago on the pod. And it it's never going to sink in. That just seems one of them which... Uh... Uh, it's going to be... I, I, I'm worried. I, it's, I, I, I'm worried it's a hype job now. I, I don't know if you'll like it, to be honest with you. Um, I mean, she's only 12 years old in uh, Taxi Driver, but... It's it's very much a polar opposites in that she's quite literally relying on someone else to protect her and save her in there. And then in this one, it's very much she's the one going out of her way to protect the public. Um, the, the only thing I actually wrote down while watching 
this film and it relates to a moment with her character when she's finally in the house at the end and is about to save the uh, young girl from the bottom of the well and she's yelling mm. at her get me out of here you fucking bitch <clears throat> and it's like <laughs> she's coming here she's about to save your life you know the madman that she's about to be facing off with and you're giving her lip <laughs> the cheek of it I mean someone else said that to me and I think I actually think it's a perfect perfectly understandable reaction it is but at the same time look hype me up at that point it's not like I've you killed the dragon get, get me out of the well then I'll thank you for saying I'll thank you for saving my life whilst I'm still in the pit you haven't technically saved my life. No, but she's at least attempting to do it, which is more than anyone else is doing by that point. No, that's very true. But good intentions are good intentions. Success is success. Get me out of the pit. <laughs> I'll never say a bad word about you. I'll love you forever. If you call me up at four o'clock in the morning and say, I need need this, done. No issue. 50 years in the future. You want a kidney, I'll give you a kidney. For, for a but film get me out of the pit first. For a film with as many twists and turns as it has, anytime you see phoned in on the radio, we found where this guy lives, we're going to go and get him, and you have the extended shots of preparing to break the door down. It's not even a surprise at this point when they've got the wrong house. Like I'm at, I'd be surprised if they had the right house. Yeah. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's fair. Yeah, very, very, very valid point, mate. It does move all over the place, this, doesn't it? Um, after just saying about what great casting it is for those it could have been very different so so Sean Connery was Jonathan Demme's first choice to play Dr Hannibal Lecter but he turned the part down I just don't think it's anywhere near as good some ranges I mean the last couple of weeks we've had him offered a part in a Snatch and Silence of the Lambs I just don't think it's anywhere near as good um, I think it might end up being very similar to, to Brian Cox, and that probably because they're both Scottish and it might be might be somewhat offensive, but I, I don't mean it in that way. I do think s- if you if he plays it with a Scot with his accent, I think you're just, just going to think of Brian Cox. I'd love to see his. If you could just get a list of all the film roles he's declined, because I bet there's some crackers in there. Harrison Ford's the other one that I want to say. Yeah, he seems yeah, to part in everything. Yeah. And he's done quite a lot as well. Um, yeah. The other names considered for the role ahead of uh, Anthony Hopkins were John Hurt, Christopher Lloyd, Dustin Hoffman, Patrick Stewart, Robert Duvall, Jack Nicholson, and Robert De Niro. Nicholson probably does it pretty well. But again, the people people compare it to The Shining, maybe. And uh, um, I made you base in this. De Niro gets of... the obvious taxi driver connection. Yeah. The Christopher Lloyd one, I made you base in this on Taxi Driver. I don't see how he plays the. Anthony Hopkins is supposed to look like a fairly normal guy in this. Mm. I don't see how Christopher Lloyd does it without being far more eccentric, because even in films where he's supposed to look. Normal. He's, 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 he's yeah, fucking wired He still looks time. like Doc from Back to the Future. Yeah, he's always just looked wired at all times. Jeremy Irons turned down the role as well. 
I can see that one more than I can see some of the others. Yeah, yeah, I think so. Um, I think you might be right, mate, to tell you the truth. And according to director Jonathan Dem, there were 300 applicants for the role of Clarice. Uh, Meg Ryan and Michelle Pfeiffer both turned down the role. I did know about the Michelle Pfeiffer one, actually. So um, there's two stories with that. Um, the screenplay writer, Ted Talley, says that Michelle Pfeiffer was asking for $2 million for the role. And Michelle Pfeiffer says she turned it down because the role was too disturbing. Maybe it was too disturbing for $1 million. Yeah. It might yeah, both be right. More um, money, you put up with a lot more. That's just the fact of life. Uh Nicole Kidman got as far as having a reading for the part, but ultimately wasn't cast. I can't see anyone now. This is like, in my head, if you say Jodie Foster, I think Clarice. So I, I, I can't, I can't separate character from act, actress, which I realised I was laughing at Martha Stewart for already, but I'm not saying it in a negative way. No, so Jodie Foster this, was... The performance is, is just unreal. She was so convinced that this role was for her that she effectively just pestered Jonathan Dem until he agreed to meet her. And then he says, within about five minutes of meeting her, even just seeing the way she walked to the table to sit with him, he said he just knew, like, that's, that's, that's who I want for the part. Like, I don't need to see anyone else at this point. That's class. A little thing like that. He says it was literally her walk to the table for to sit but down for lunch. I'm so convinced that something's for you. I've never, I've not been that self-assured about anything in 27 <laughs> no. years on this planet. No, um, I've been thinking that actually while watching um, this Kanye documentary that's come out. Just his level of self-confidence. I don't think I've ever, <laughs> ever felt even a fraction of that. No, not nearly as talented either. Been, no, I could be by any metric the best at any given something, and I'd probably still be like, mm, maybe. And it's not even being humble. My brain just doesn't 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 quite go like that. No. So to take you through um, some of the things that the directors pointed out that he chose to do, and things that others have pointed out that the directors done in this film. So whenever characters are talking to Clarice, they often talk directly to the camera. Uh, when she's talking to them, she's always looking slightly off camera. Um, the director said it was done so the audience would directly experience her point of view and not theirs. Just with the difference in eye contact, he felt that they would more readily identify with her because they're putting themselves in her shoes. Hmm. Fair enough. And he says that you always have at least one shot of Jodie Foster's um, full frame in the shot when uh, no matter who she was interacting with he says that he really wanted to hammer home um, that almost everyone else in this film is towering over her except for Lecter who's always sitting down face to face they're always at eye contact level yeah. and he's the only person in the film that actually treats her as an equal so he says that that was quite appropriate Yeah, uh, yes, that's that's the big that's the big point, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, um, 
Right, cool. I was just there's so many things the director does in this that, that are brilliant. I like so you they have the shot of the pen, don't they, when he's about to be transported. And the fact that they zoom in on it, you know at some point this pen is going to be used. Probably he's gonna stab someone with it. And then it's just long enough passes that you almost forget about this pen that it's quite literally been said. Remember that remember you saw this. And then just the fact he's using literally just the little nib of the pen to uh unlock his cuffs, I thought was great. Just these little things to just plant in your head as the film goes on, just to constantly make your mind tick and tick and tick. Yeah. It's it, 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 like you say, it's part of the, the thrill of it. It's just little things, little actions. It goes back to what we were saying earlier. Even like I know it's in breaking out, but it's such a tiny thing. It just keeps you engrossed on it. Just such yeah. small details, like the the attention paid to every little thing. Well, I thought my my favourite way the director plays the entire film is we've obviously heard the things that Lecter does, but none of it is on camera. Um, with uh, Migs eating his tongue, um, the kind of abuse he's given to other people um, when they're saying to be wary of him. You don't see any of this to the point where, because of his conversations with Clarice, you're almost looking at him like, you actually don't seem that bad. Like <laughs> you, you forget that he is this psychopathic killer. And then they extend it just long enough for you to say, maybe I was wrong about this guy. And then they go to the extreme and he's biting through a man's face. He's stabbing one to death. He's doing all of these things. He's using his brain as well with the way he breaks out. He doesn't do it in the brawn of like stabbing through him. He reels him in. He gets him cuffed to the fence. I thought the way they played that with it taking you so far to one way, literally to just go to the other end of the spectrum, worked so well because it was like a Roy Jones Jr. You must have forgot. I, I, I don't know if you quite forget. You don't you forget, do, but you've you, not you, seen any of it on camera. Like you're, you ch- you're, you're, you're warming uh, to you this guy. I, I agree, but I'm not sure you forget. I've got to be honest. I don't feel that he feels as threatening an hour in as he does after 10 minutes. He disarms you slightly as it goes on. Even more perfectly because by this point, you've seen what you believe is Clarice getting the better of him. Where they dangle the offer under his nose and he gives us information and then he finds out after. Look, the offer was never really there and they kind of rub that in with him. Mm. So you've seen some vulnerability there and then very quickly after he reminds you, like, I'm the man in charge here and don't you forget it. I suppose so. I, I just never, I, like, I don't, I've never, everyone's only said sort of when I've watched it. I, I don't, don't think I've ever forgotten, if you say, or, or you are charmed by the speech, but I'm not sure. If, I like, I do now think because I watched it so long after the fact and it was so famous, some of the speeches that you, that's what you're charmed by as much as anything else. Mm, yeah, that's fair. In in terms of the um, feminism involved in the in the plot and uh, everything, the script, etc., I saw a theory says 
you have the contrast at the beginning and the end. At the beginning, you have your female protagonist entering a man's world, as mm-hmm. uh, you see. And at the climax of the film, we have our antagonist trying to enter the women's world, quite literally. And so yeah. you've got the, the, the clash there. And ultimately, the female comes out on top. No, and they, again, and they say, in terms of uh, for the first half of the film, at least, her, her sex is used as a disadvantage, isn't it? She's not taken seriously. Uh, yeah. She's hit on by just about every single person she speaks to. <clears throat> uh, yeah. She starts yeah. laughing about it, I think, um, by the yeah. time she's meeting the guys who are talking about the bugs. And there's the guy who's got um, one eye in the prequel and one eye in the sequel. Um, and then at the end of the film literally she survives because she's a woman if that was yeah. the, the male police officer in there who's barreled down the house Buffalo Bill puts a cap in the back of her head when he's got her lined up with a night vision on the fact that she's female yeah. and as happens with everyone else he's trying to have his way with her basically goes to mm-hmm. caress her hair one time that gives her enough time to spin around I thought it was a bit cheesy at the time, but when I thought about it after, I thought it was quite a, quite a cool way to do it. Yeah, ultimately. The cheesy angle for the cheesy is not. I don't think it's wrong. No, but I hadn't thought about it with um, the respects of it, it was because uh, he was trying to touch your hair, blah, because she's a woman. I was taking a bit like the classic, do you really need to take, <laughs> take five minutes to cock back your thing slowly yeah then get your shot off like it would have been fairly easy to take her out if you wanted to but his own desires get the better of him as happens for a lot of people throughout the film yeah effectively like as terrible as it would as terrible as um like the films would become but if like the villain just did what he said he was going to do <laughs> no grandstanding he's like i'm going to kill you just bang it's done so when they films would be terrible but that is exactly what would happen when they mock it up in like Austin Powers and like he delays it so he can stop it for one second to go and the, the villain he's saying, oh, why don't you just get rid of him? And he's like, no, I have to do this very, very exquisite plan to really get rid of him. And in this, you'd say both Clarice and Hannibal are the only people that are in touch with their, inst- not with their instincts, with um, their desires, I guess, in this. They're the only people that actually are able to hold themselves back. Everyone mm-hmm. else in here is so intent on just getting what they want here and now that it's ultimately their own downfall. Well, yeah. This is, it is a film of desire, isn't it? Mm. That last 15 minutes with the night vision and the lights going off is as tense as I felt watching a film I guess actually for different ways. Um, watching watching Jackass, to be fair, I was had a different level of tension where it was uh, watching this for this type of film. I mean, I had similar thoughts to Paranormal Activity. I was like, why am I doing this to myself? Like, I was so stressed. I could feel my heart pounding. I can only imagine what it would have been like in the cinema, to be honest with you. Mm. It's um, just so well done. It's so atmospheric. I don't know how this guy was able to construct the house he has with no one realising that he's building a well at the bottom of his house and he's got all these rooms, etc. But 
the way they do it. Because I, I know she don't die. I, I knew she doesn't. Knew she wasn't gonna die. I made an assumption, but I thought. Um, oh no! As in, like, I, not being a, a dick, I categorically knew she wasn't gonna die. Yeah. She's, because characters in another film after. So. Is in after the events of this, as opposed to like a prequel. Chris Starling's yeah. in another. She's in. Sorry, sorry. She's in. She was in another book. Yeah. Um, by Thomas Harris. A, older bit like a bit more grizzled for lack of a better yeah. word but like a bit more worn down by by the world there was a show i think it was on one of those american channels like peacock maybe or something like that um they did a show and it was based around her and how she handles things after taking down buffalo bill and the level of pressure that came with it and what her next was, case was like was. and how she was accepted I've not seen it. Um, it. It didn't go down very well. Um, no, I haven't seen it. But now that you've said it, yes, that does ring a bell. Yeah, there was, was a review and it said... It didn't come out very long ago, did it? No, I think it was, um, I think maybe 2019, 2020, something like that. Um, uh, the the review that I read effectively said, look, good idea, but you're trying to do far too much, um, which didn't really work for a miniseries. No, I just think that's it's an odd that's an odd character to fill the shoes of. Yeah. Like there's a reason after this performance, because obviously this isn't the first film that features Hannibal Lecter, but after this performance, but there's a reason why the rest of the films have struggled. Yeah, there's the one that's not the second one, it's the third one I think has a seven point five on IMDB. Um which one's that, mate? Uh, I'll have to look. This the the one directly after Bond, and then it's the one where Hopkins is playing Hannibal for the final time. It says, "Yeah, I can't remember." Um, obviously, there's the one. Is that the one that's just called Hannibal? No, it's not. Um, let me check. I can't remember the order. Obviously, Red Dragons. He's in with Ed Norton. Um, I can't, I can't remember if that's the one that's good or bad. That's like, oh, I think that's the second one. So I think that's early 2000s Red Dragon. Um, but you are welcome to tell me I'm wrong. I'm just trying to have a look now, but obviously, because it's not called <laughs> Hannibal 1, Hannibal 2, Hannibal 3, it's uh, tracking it down. Well, if you just type in, like, just typed in Hannibal films and you'd, you'd have got it. Yeah, I was trying to do it without you hearing me typing down the mic. Oh, look, she should have got a good listener in enhance our conversation. If such a thing is possible. Right. So we've got. Oh. Manhunter, Silence of the Lambs, Hannibal, Red Dragon. I think it might be Red Dragon is the one I'm referring to. Yes, 7.2 with Ed Norton and the one you referred to, Red Dragon. Yeah, I don't think think Hannibal did did particularly well. No, no, it did. It, it definitely didn't. Um, from what I could see, made, uh, um, that it was framed a bit shot. differently, where they yeah. tried having like Hannibal as 
not quite the detective itself, but kind of the protagonist of the feature. And I, from what I, I mean, as I say, I've not seen it. No, no, I, I, I can't say I have, mate. But um, they say it was basically, it, they just kind of framed it all wrong. Yeah, in, in this you, one, um, Hannibal no, is the victim. Would you consider? I was going to say, now that you've seen this, would you consider watching the TV show? Um, I actually, st- I actually started it when it came out, and it, it didn't really do a lot for me. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, I got it. Uh, I got it for Christmas uh, after it came out. Actually, I think I got a voucher. I think I got a, like an Amazon voucher, and I bought um, Spartacus season one, and I bought. Uh, Hannibal season one and it was like chalk and cheese with how much I enjoyed the one and how much I enjoyed the other. You loves Spark, isn't it? Yeah, I thought it was really good. TK's a big fan as well for memory. It is great. I probably should rewatch it to be honest with you. Um, but it's like Mads, Mads Mikkelsen I think is really good so I probably would like it. It just... I don't know. I saw a film uh, that's just gone on Prime with him in it. Have you seen it? It's called The Hunt. What, Mads Mikkelsen? Yeah. No, the film I want to watch that he's in is... Um, I sort of want to watch anyway, just because for no other reason, I think it's quite it's quite a fun concept, and it is called... Uh, Another the, Round. Uh, yeah, yeah, that, that showed in cinemas over here, um, and it won quite a lot of awards. Yeah, it's supposed to be fantastic, mate. It's a Danish um, film, I believe. Yeah. But no, I've I've not seen it uh, comment either way. No, no, nor have I. Um. So there were going to be some changes to this. There are there are some uh, alternate versions. So, um, the filmmakers were prepared to go to Montana to shoot a flashback sequence that was going to play during uh, Clarice's story, which is how you get the Silence of the Lambs. Um. They filmed the first take where she's just explaining it. And one of the uh, cameramen started crying. Um, he actually knocked his camera off center. Um, I'm not sure if they if that takes in there. But a number of people were moved on the set. And supposedly they finished the take. And... Uh, the director said, I, I, I guess we aren't going to Montana. He didn't feel that I could add anything. And if you've got one of the very few scenes in which these two characters share the screen together, he said it would be to the film's detriment to take away from that. Yeah. I and I that. agree, because how much, uh, how much are we adding from a sequence of a young Clarice running through a ranch with a with a lamb under her arm like that's yeah. not adding anything to, i'd rather see her and uh anthony hopkins on screen of course you would yeah no, of course you would and i think so much of the film like you said is left to not your imagination was left to description that that that, that it doesn't it doesn't do it any harm no and like the we... thing about the census taker raises johnny don't, i don't actually need to see a flashback to Anthony Hopkins at cutting his liver out and scramming it. No, very, very true. We we nearly had an alternate ending as well. Um, so the scripted ending had uh, Dr. Hannibal Lecter. He's calling Clarice on the phone still. He has a beard 
glasses and uh, lighter hair and he's undergone some cosmetic surgery um before he hangs up he tells clarice that she looked lovely in her blue suit yesterday indicating that he's still around it's then revealed that he's tied and gagged dr frederick chilton in his home he has a dead security guard lying on the floor and the scene ends with Lecter holding a knife saying well dr chilton shall we begin and then the camera fades to black Instead, you get the uh, I'm seeing an old friend for dinner, which is a great line. So I'm quite glad. Yeah. Yeah, great line. I'm quite glad they went with the ending they did. Um, I also just he's in a nice sunny climate as well. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's a good ending. Um, As I said, uh, the FBI's behavioral science unit assisted in the making um, the Silence of the Lambs was inspired by the real-life relationship between University of Washington criminology professor and profiler Bob Keppel and serial killer Ted Bundy. Bundy helped Keppel investigate the Green River serial killings in Washington. Um, I didn't know that. Sorry, I was just, I was just actually yeah. quite shocked by that. Uh, Thomas Harris declined the opportunity to be involved in the movie in any way. He said he trusted everyone involved to uh, get the film right. And he said he went to see it on the opening day. He said everyone around him was talking about it. So there was no use in trying to avoid it. And he said he he couldn't have been happier with the way his book was portrayed on screen. That's pretty cool. Yeah. Um, He seems, from the few things I read, um, he seems a very just down-to-earth guy he didn't want any of the limelight he just wanted to see his text done justice and when he saw who was involved he trusted them to get it right he said well you, i'm not ex i'm not an expert in what you do so i don't feel like an anti thing you've you've got my book there i can't possibly give you any more than that yeah and maybe my favorite piece of trivia here seth green based his voice for Chris Griffin in Family Guy off of Ted Levine's performance as Buffalo Bill in this movie. Uh, I can sort of see it. Yeah. <laughs> you can sort of see it, can't you? Yeah, so there you go. Hmm. Um, other just final bits of trivia. Um the revolver that uh, Jamie Gum used was a Colt Python, which is a double action, which means that in the dark scene, all he would have had to do was pull the trigger. He wouldn't have actually had to pull the hammer back. John Carpenter declared his disappointment over the movie as it focused so much on Clarice Starling's character, he said he would have loved to direct it and make it much more frightening and gripping. Wow. Sorry about that, John. I think we're happy with what we got. Mm, I mean, yeah. Um, I don't think you can relegate Clarice. No. I think it would have been a far more um, normal film. It would have been far more like, okay, we've seen this kind of thing before. It just would have become... it would have become like Halloween, mate. Something like that. That's the other thing. Or there's other things made an awful lot of films, but you get my point. Yeah, yeah. 
Um, and then after the uh, hesitancy that I described earlier, they actually released this on Valentine's Day, which was a very unusual release date for a horror movie. Again, I, I, I don't. It wasn't billed as a horror, though, was it? I, I, I think it's wrong to call it a horror film. Yeah, but I guess that's what they uh, must have sold it as. But um, remained at number one in the box office for five weeks. What did it do money-wise? Uh, I don't know. I'll, I'll come back around and check it. If we I can go on... Yeah, I was going to move oh. on to our second film. That's right, take three seconds. Nineteen million budget, two hundred seventy-two. Well, I mean, because I know, um, actually, no, it's a trivia for Black Clansman. I was about to commence with, uh, to cross over with. Hello, this is David Duke, Grand Wizard of the Ku Klux Klan. Yeah. What can I do for? Well, since you asked, I hate blacks, Jews, Mexicans, and Irish. Italians and Chinese, and anyone else really that doesn't have pure white Aryan blood running through their veins. I'm happy to be talking to a true white American. God bless white America. Black Klansman. In cinemas August 24. If we go on to our second film of the evening, Black Klansman, um, Ron Stallworth, an African-American police officer from Colorado Springs, successfully manages to infiltrate the local Ku Klux Klan branch with the help of the Jewish surrogate who eventually becomes its leader, based on actual events. This is so wild. What do you think the critics thought of this? Uh, yeah, I think it did well. The performances win out negating questionable inclusions and historical inaccuracies, making this biographical account a thoroughly entertaining, triumphant venture. Ten years ago, during our optimistic delusions of a post-racial America, we might have naively called such a movie over the top, but arriving the same week as an actual white nationalist rally on the National Mall, it's horrifically spot on. Black Klansman is one of those magical movies where the filmmaker takes aim at what a less ambitious storyteller would say is too many targets, hitting each and every one of them with the precision of a career assassin. America America should be well past the events told in this film, but because we aren't, this film is here to remind us. It's all the more incredible for being so entertaining while doing so. Finally, Lee lets rip with this bizarre story, balancing intrigue and suspense with mocking comedy and scorching satire. Is this your first time seeing the film? No, second. Do you like it? Yeah. You don't sound convinced. No, no, it's 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 good. It, like, it, it is good. Um. I wasn't sure about it as a rewatch, so I've got to say. Okay. I might, um, I might be wild, but I did that was I wasn't too sure. But 
There's very little trivia for this, um, but with a box office take of 89 million, this is Spike Lee's second most successful film after which movie? Do you want to think? No. One of your favourites, I believe. One of my favourites? I believe so. New Jack? Inside Man. Oh. I have to admit, I didn't even know it was Spike Lee directed that. Yep, there you go. Just terrible looking, but I didn't. Something I thought was interesting, um, according to the editor, Barry Alexander Brown, he says there were no deleted scenes for this movie, which is a real rarity. To me, that tells me that, and it, it, it may seem painfully obvious, but every single thing you see on this film, Spike Lee wanted you to see. There's nothing that he came up with during. There's nothing that he decided, having seen the script, that wasn't suitable for purpose. He had a clear vision. He stuck to it. And this is what you get. Yeah. Which I I think is interesting because there must be a film like this and oversimplifying it, I know, but the key purpose of this film is to mock the absurdity of being a racist, is it not? Yes. Like, the whole thing is to clown on anyone that is a racist now, was, and so on. Um, do, you ever, do you ever stop being a racist? Um, I, mean, I don't know if you're asking me personally, which I hope not, but uh, I, I'd no, imagine those prejudices right. would stay there. Yeah, I'd, I'd, I'd like... I... I don't know, maybe maybe to a certain degree you do. But like it's, the the guys in it like doing the counter like the violence that they were perpetuating and stuff. Like I know they say people do reform and uh, maybe they do. I I don't I don't know any deeply racist people, thankfully. Um but I don't know if like does if you hate because you, you hate someone, you like to you hate someone they like these they, they hate someone on an ideological level. They don't hate the individual. They hate someone they, as an ideology or as a group of people. To believe something that strongly, that has to be almost not all consuming, but that has to be consuming. Can, can that ever go away? No, I I take this as a we kind of accept that we aren't going to change you. So we're going to laugh at everything you stand for because everyone in this film is, is some level, whether it be minor or there's one character that's to the extreme is some kind of a caricature um, yeah. as, as, as to what it means to be a racist. And they're playing off as fucking stupid. Yeah. So it's quite literally, isn't it? If you're not a racist in this film, you're clever. If you're not, you're an idiot. And it's literally as simple as that as, as you go through. I mean, that, that's a fair world view. Yeah. I actually have a question that I've been wanting to ask you um, since I saw that we were doing the film this mm. week. We've done several times on this where we've heard of an actor not wanting to be typecast, etc. I mean, Brad Pitt was worried about being typecast as a fighter out of Fight Club. How many times can you play a racist on camera? 
If you play a racist well, probably once. Because I was going to say for some of these, um, if you're a well-known face, you kind of can get away with it because it, yeah. you, we can narrow it down to they're a good actor. If you're a guy who we don't see Brad frequently, Pitt. if it was Brad Pitt, yeah, playing David Duke, Brad Pitt saying all these awful things, you'd be able to separate it. But if you're like a a jobbing actor and you're right, sort of character actor, and you're doing bits here, bits there, yeah, it, yeah, fair enough. Once you've been cast as that racist for the third time, it's like, hang on a minute, <laughs> you can't be playing this again. You you used up your checklist. Like <laughs> you can't play this again. Sorry, we can't have you. You're great at it. I mean, Grow your hair you back. Surely you reach a point where you're like, you're applying for another one of these, right? <laughs> Imagine your agent keeps coming back and you go, what is it? Skinhead one. Oh, not again. I can't, I can't do this again. I was skinhead two last time. Yeah. I mean, surely you reach a point where you're looking at like the resume and you, you're thinking, okay, this is the fourth type of film you've done now. I mean, the problem, I mean, people do turn down roles in film like this because they don't want to yeah. be worried about being a racist. So once you typecast, once you typecast, have it. Imagine, imagine your IMDb page when you load it up and it is like racist one, <laughs> racist one, KKK yeah. member, racist three. It's like you're having to take some of the roles down at that point. You yeah, need you need a stage name. Yeah, I, I don't know. I, like, I, I, don't, I don't know. I think, I think my, my first opinion of once is rash, but... Yeah. I, I, I'm not sure. I, I, I honestly don't know. There must it's be someone very... out there that has tested this theory, and I'd like to get them on the podcast to explain. Yeah, I, I'm not sure we would. Well, I'd like to know, is there a point where you thought, I can't keep doing this? Yeah, I'd probably be worried about them going, nah, I love it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That, at that point, we uh, we either don't release it or we, we play them like the style of this film where uh, we let the world we mock start, We just start taking the first. Yeah. Um, so the real Ron Stallworth had originally wanted Denzel to play him, but was ecstatic to find out that his son got the role. So I guess if you can't have Denzel, next best thing here. So yeah, I mean, he is great. To be fair, um, love him in Ballers. He 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 seemed to come out of nowhere, but I've never seen him in a bad film. No, it's a very. Or good even point. if the even if I didn't like the film, I've never seen him be bad in the film. I mean, he's in. He was in a couple of his first few. Are, um, but they are basically he's in the film because he's Denzel's son. Yeah, do you know his first role? Uh, yeah, he's in Malcolm X. Yes, he is. With Spike Lee. Just uh, I I said that so I knew that already. I'm lying. I'm looking. I'm looking at his eyes. Even uh, as we're talking, mate. I'm not not that good. Um, but like, there's a bit with Malcolm X. So he played like he played like they tried to play it being the NFL, didn't he? Was like that's what he was trying to do. Oh. But then he he sort of um. It's 2010. He does. He's, he's a co-producer on the book of, in the book of Eli. Doesn't seem to have done a lot for a few years. It might be the bonus of being Denzel's son. Yeah. Gets cast in Ballers. Great program, by the way. Um, yeah, yeah. Gets gets cast in Ballers. Then does a couple of films. Like, fairly 
big, big films as well. Well, Tenet are still reserved on um, Mal- Malcolm and Maria actually uh, kind of enjoyed for what it was as a lockdown film. Um, Zendaya doing anything. Mm. And then, I mean, Untitled David O. Russell, so you'd assume that's going to be a, a big film when it comes out. Well, have you seen who's attached to that the Untitled David O. Russell film? I've just clicked it. Um, uh, Bale, Jesus, Robbie, Washington, Rami Malik, Chris Rock, Zoe Saldana, Anya Taylor Joy, Michael Shannon, Taylor Swift, Timothy Oliphant, Mike Myers, Alessandro Nivola. That's Gavin Harris. Who? Alessandro Nivola. That's Gavin Harris from Goal. If you say so, it is. Cool. Okay. What do you mean? What do you mean? What do I mean? You seem very like you were doubting that it is. No, I said okay. I'm not that. You seem more excited about that fact than than you I. You seemed a bit confused by who it was, so I was just letting you know. I've never heard of it. So you said it really excited. So I yeah, you've seen you've seen goal. Yeah, in two thousand six. Uh, yeah, but yeah, still. Do you know I know the name of every character in every film I've ever watched? You should know Gavin Harris is. Uh, Matthias Schoenartz. I don't know who that is either, I must admit. Uh, it's a big film, film, basically. De Niro? Yeah, yeah. I, I, <laughs> I feel like we may have mentioned that when we did a pod talking about De Niro or one of those people on there. Um. So actor Topher Grace said in an interview that portraying David Duke left him feeling depressed. And um, no, I'm going to get your take here. So as an act of catharsis, he took on the project of editing Peter Jackson's trilogy of films based on The Hobbit into a single two-hour movie. Is that what you do when you're depressed, Keenan? No, I drink like a normal person. I don't understand what that's your go-to I'm having a bad day let me just edit The Hobbit into one two-hour film like what like what on what on earth <laughs> if you've not got like I assume for Grace has, has still got a bit of money right oh yeah I assume so yes yeah, so would I um no I think there's better stuff he could be doing um, well, he says he spent a month researching David Duke, including reading Duke's autobiography and watching footage of him. He said he found Duke to be even more of a racist than he'd assumed, but found most frightening Duke's ability to make himself charming to an audience in spite of his racism, and that's what he wanted to come through in his performance. Subsequently, the real David Duke called Ron Stallworth to express his concern over his buffoonish, cartoonish idiot portrayal in the film, although <laughs> although Duke did want to clarify that he respected director Spike Lee. Like, what? I, I don't, like, I don't want to insult her for grace, but found the leader, the Grand Dragon, or Grand whatever the fucking stupid names they give themselves are, Big cheese it, of the Ku Klux Klan that was more of a racist than he thought he was going to be. Yeah, I, I thought similar when I read that as well. To be honest with you, <laughs> like with the like, what what did you think it was? It was a like it was a hobby. 
Yeah, I, I agree with you. I would never read this off. It's a waste of oxygen. Yeah. But oh my God, I bet his biography. It, oh, if he wrote it, I bet his autobiography is yeah. Yeah. horrible. Yeah. Um, in terms of comparisons to the true story, I didn't get the whole thing down. Um, contrary to popular belief, the real Ron Stallworth never used a white, in inverted commas, voice on the phone. He ironically chosen to use his real voice or they would have caught him if he slipped out of character. When his white colleagues told him it could not work, he asked what made his voice any different from theirs and they never answered. Uh, the real Ron Stallworth claimed that one of his biggest regrets of the investigation not being made public is that had it been revealed, David Duke would have been made a fool of for having been conned by a black man and might not have continued his political career. No, he definitely would have made a fool of. He's a fucking weird-looking dude. I mean, yeah, of course he is, but he's a weird-looking bloke. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he is. Um, David Duke did not discover that Ron Stallworth was a black man until 2006, when a Miami Herald reporter contacted him for his side of the story. Uh, Only he could have had a camera on him for the big reveal there. Jesus Christ. Shame we we he didn't get the kind of humiliation like he got in the film no he is an absolute show I mean, it's, not still, it's a shame he's not still in fucking prison Spike Lee does a, does a great job in this um, in how to explain it for a film where it is as wacky and ridiculous and I know it's the kind of based on the true story thing but everyone is amped up aren't they in this film um, apart from the Adam Driver and uh, David John or John David Washington you get my point um, John David Washington yeah. everyone other than them really is, is amped up a notch and so you've got this thing where you're showing the police as being horrible you're showing the clan obviously as being horrible and he's just stuck in the middle but they don't ever amp it up too much where you can't take the film seriously like you still feel there are stakes involved and I do agree with you that the second time around the stakes do feel somewhat diminished. Um, yeah. I mean, the, the message of the film should, isn't and shouldn't be. Was, I mean, the message of the film is essentially racist and fucking stupid, and that's the correct message. The, but The rewatch for you, the point yeah. where maybe you had a moment, if if so, where you, know, you thought, okay, this isn't quite how it felt the first time around of watching it. Was it when the bomb goes off? Because that, that didn't feel as impactful for me the second time around as it did the first time. No, for obvious reasons, wasn't it? Yeah, but even still, like it felt a bit kind of like I'd forgotten quite how it went, but it felt a bit anticlimactic. Um, seeing them, it, it was no kind of grand way of going out, which I guess is an intentional thing, but hmm. I don't know. That was the point for me where I was oh, I didn't quite feel the same as the first time around, but still enjoyed it. Yeah, I know. Yeah, I did enjoy it. I, I, I that would be lying if I said otherwise. But yeah, it just didn't go. Just didn't quite have the same impact. Adam Driver is very good as well, isn't he? Like we've mentioned, uh, Washington. He he is very good. He's. I like Adam Driver. Yeah, yeah, he's very good. I've seen him in some bad films, but I've seen him be good in, 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 in yeah. some. Yeah, you've, you've seen him in the bad Star Wars film, have you not? No. I thought you said you'd seen one of them. No. I've never thought, 
for some reason I thought uh, you'd kind no. of been dragged to see it in some regard. Um, no. the, uh, the last Star Wars film I was, I was dragged to see was the fucking show we had to do for the pod. Hey, don't be so disrespectful. Um, do you not remember my thoughts on that? that I, I do, I do remember. Um, I also remember there was four of us back then, so it does really feel like uh, quite quite a long time ago. Uh, the Charlottesville Unite the Right rally occurred while the movie was in the editing phase, um, prompting Spike Lee to include the tragic event as an apt way to conclude his film. Uh, As a gesture of respect for the tragic murder of Heather Heyer during the rally, he actually asked her mother for permission to include the media footage followed by a dedication. Um, I, I was quite pleased to read that because I did wonder how that came to be a part of the film, but knowing that he did speak to her first and got her permission did make me feel quite a lot better. Yeah. And the the word the wording is going to be off here considering that a life was lost. It it couldn't really be a more perfect way to highlight everything he said in the film than to be able to use that as an ending. There's there's an interview that um, you can watch with um, Spike Lee, and he's mentioned it in several where a real moment in his life that he says uh, he had a new kind of realisation of things was when he went to film school and he was expected to watch and appreciate uh, the 1915 Birth of a Nation film. And he said he's being asked to kind of look at these things and critique these characters, and all the while everyone else is just ignoring how blatantly racist and horrible the film is. And he said he, he brought this up with lecturers and there, there was actually, uh, he was kicked out of the, the college and he had to take it to the governors or whatever the uh, term is in America. And they actually had to have a vote as to whether he could stay attending the campus because he'd kicked up such a storm about how disrespectful this was and outdated. Mm. And so that's why I think the ending of this film, I saw a a, a critic that said it was like Spike Lee didn't trust his audience to draw the parallels to now for themselves. When having read that previously and seen the interview, I took it as, Spike Lee effectively saying look you've overlooked enough racism before I'm not going to let you overlook it again and it's almost like he wants to hit you in the face with it and just leave you with no questions as to his intentions yeah I'd I'd not heard the thing about birth of the nation Um, I must admit yeah you can imagine if he's having to sit and watch that and be told to oh yeah is it not like I've never seen it genuinely but is it not like the film they say is like the most racist film ever made yeah um, they, they show a clip of it at the start of this film that's what's on oh, screen okay. in the Alec Baldwin yeah. scene okay the Alec Baldwin scene by the way do you think he's chosen there because right around the time this came out I mean he's literally just wheeled out as a Trump impersonator do you think? Do you think that has anything to do with he, why he, he was given the role? He nicked the living out for a long little while, didn't he? Yeah, yeah, and 
I had a real issue with Trump impersonators because it, it just felt so lazy. Um, but and I didn't think his actually was a very good impression. But yeah, I was just going to say it's not even that good an impression. I mean, but again, I... the bloke is fucking. It should be the subject of comedy, but yeah, I, I get what you mean about it being an easy mark. Yeah, so I, I do wonder if that's why uh, he he was given that part in this film, just to kind of highlight that. Um, because during the clan ceremony towards the end of the film, one of the clansmen uses the phrase, make America great again. So he was, like, Spike Lee was by no means trying to blur this at all. Like, he very much was trying to put it in your face and say, look, this isn't a thing of the past. Like, this is still going on. This is what we are, still. Yeah. Yeah. No, 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 that's a a very fair point. I I mean, it's the rally that obviously you talk about and and the the timing that we're standing. I think it would be an impossibility to say that this is where we were. Supposed to. and that, that that's well known by the way, it's not a critic of criticism of America. You could be I'm I'm sure the argument applies world over. It's I, I do think for a film that is amped up in the way that it is, it, it does still feel in a different way to Silence of the Lambs, but it does still feel like tense throughout particularly when um the scenes where adam driver is the one kind of being questioned of course it does there's always a chance he gets caught and the consequences for getting caught it's still life and death and the the language used on top of that does kind of make you i get well as it's supposed to uncomfortable throughout the duration so that obviously adds to it as well yeah yeah absolutely um I mean, in terms of sort of Adam Driver's character, he is Jewish, so the result for him is as bad as it is for Ron, Ron Storr. It should it Ron Storr get caught or something. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, well, they do the thing with him, don't they, where it takes him some time to truly understand not which side he's on, but to pick a side effectively. That's kind of the the development in the film, isn't it? Is Adam Driver's character realising this is more than a job. There is a real fight here. Yeah, of course. Um, do you have anything more to add or do you want to do the judging? No, we can do the judging, mate. Just a moment. Let's click the wrong one and click on the fixture list first. Okay. Which film did you prefer? Silence of the Lambs. I agree with you. Um, Which do you think is more rewatchable? Silence of the Lambs. I also agree with that too, uh, considering how heavy it is. Um, Best moment slash scene? It's got to be when Clarice and Hannibal Lecter meet. Yeah, what, for the first time? 
Yeah, and I know that's probably a cliche, but it's a cliche for a reason. No, I I, I agree with that as well because <laughs> something I, I did want to mention um the the twist of um okay the guy that's in the ambulance actually is Hannibal. If they're working with this guy regularly, like they're very close to the guy's face, like, yeah, yeah, and the build of the guy is different. That's just poor police work. I'm not surprised they haven't caught Buffalo Bill by this point. Um, quote. Take your pick of any, almost anything. Uh, Anthony Hopkins says. My yeah, favourite think... is probably not the best, but my favourite is probably I'm having an old friend for dinner. Yeah, so I would wait, agree with The that. delivery of it is unreal. I was going to ask you in the intro if you were having any fava beans. Yeah, I also don't drink Chianti. Uh, MVP? Hannibal. Probably Clarice, actually. Sorry, I take that back. It's Clarice. A side character. Probably Buffalo Bill. It's not a bad shout. What, um, he's obviously not. But in other circumstances, if someone had 24 minute runtime in a, it's like an hour and 58 minutes, like he's in it for like a fifth of the film, would you suggest that would be a side character or no? Uh, probably depends on what you're doing with it. To be fair, but yeah, usually that's I would exactly, say that's so. That's what I'm saying. That's what I'm saying. It's obviously we. It'd be weird if we because it's not in this case. Um, I just wondered what what your time is. Uh, the your time what time thing would be. No, no. Um, I I would I would say usually that would be a side character, but I guess what we're saying is it's a fairly exceptional use of the time that he has. Yes. Um, exactly. Yes, yeah, I'd agree. I think um, if it isn't for the performances that we have elsewhere in the film, um, I think Ted Levine probably gets spoken about a bit more here because yeah, he really yeah, does he does, transform he... himself into the character. Yeah, he's, he's creepy as shit. Yeah, he's fantastic, but he just gets forgotten. Um. Better character development. See, I, I want to say, I'd say Clarice. I would also, yeah. Most dramatic scene? It's the night version scene, mate. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Jesus. Uh, best soundtrack. Black Clansman. Agreed. Originality. Black Clansman. That's a tough one. For, I'll probably agree. Bigger impact. Time to alarms, mate. Best opening scene? Um, 
You're going with that Alec Baldwin spiel. Yeah. Versus, I think so. I guess I'd extend to her probably being called into the police chief's office. I'd go, I'd go Black Clansman, to be fair. Okay. I'll go Silence of Lambs, but I don't hate the call. Okay. Um, Ascending. Silence of Lambs. And finally, best chemistry. Silence of Lambs. Eleven two. Two yeah. silence of the lamps. Tough. That's a, that's a tough week. Um, yeah. The black hands one. It would would do well against a lot, but it is genuinely running against probably one of the best films of the foot last thirty years. And then, so that that does us. And then next week, we have Cape Fear. Versus Run All Night. Never seen Cape Fear. Nor have I. I have seen Run All Night. Okay, I don't mean to be rude here. Arsenal have just got a goal down, so it's probably best I come off here before uh, I get too carried away. Cape Fear, very similar vibe to uh, what we watched tonight. Yeah, feels it. Um, But I will leave you for now. Thanks again for everyone for tuning in to another edition of Movie Madness. Adios.